Well, good morning, everybody. It is so nice to see you this morning. We have such good fellowship. I'm like, could we let this go on? Let's just keep talking. Um, my name is Marie, and I am one of the pastors here at the church. I do women's and children's ministry. So if you've never seen my face, it's because I'm normally down with the kids. And thank you, Jesus, they let me upstairs today. So very excited to be here. I am, uh, have been here, uh, for those of you, then this, here's the second thing. I am married to this cute guy in the front row who just was emceeing, okay? So sometimes, yes, yes, I'm telling you. It is amazing to me. We have literally had people introduce us to each other, okay? And we're like, no, we're married. No, no, really. I'll show you my driver's license and everything. So anyway. So a while ago, Ron asked, he said, Marie, would you like to share one of the messages? And I'm like, yes, I love this book. And I love the stories of Jesus. I love parables. I love stories with sheep in it. If there could be a story of sheep and children and Jesus, I am all about that. And if you could throw in a happily ever after, ha, huh, I'm there. So then Ron emailed me. Right? And he said, Marie, we would like you to do this passage. And so I'm so excited. I open up my Bible and I began to read. Oh, this is really hard. Really? You gave me a really hard passage, Ron. There is not a single sheep in here. There is no children. There's not even a good parable, man. Okay, I can do this. And, and here's the thing, it is a hard passage, because this is Jesus laying it down, man. This is Jesus saying, here is what it takes to be in my kingdom. Here is what it takes to be a follower of Jesus. And so I'm just going to read to you, this is called the Sermon on the Plain. And um, not the Mount, this is the Plain, okay? And Sermon on the Plain and um, let me read to you from the NIV what it is. And so, he went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there and a great number of people from all, all over Judea and from Jerusalem and from the coastal regions of Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured and all the people and the and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming off of him and healing them looking at his disciples he said blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of god and blessed are you who are hungry now for you will be satisfied and blessed are you who weep now for you will laugh. And blessed are when you when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they insult you, and they reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But, woe. Woe. To you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. And woe to you who are well-fed now, for you will go hungry. And woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. And woe 
to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Whoa, that's pretty hard, isn't it? It's really hard. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to share. Heavenly Father, we love you. Father, we are so grateful to be your children and to be in your kingdom. Help us to do what you want us to do. Help us to be always living with you in our mind, to know that our identity is in your kingdom and that you love us so much, even in the most difficult of days. In Jesus' name, amen. So Jerry, Pastor Jerry shared last week about the choosing of the apostles, right? So there was people on the mountain with Jesus, and out of that disciples, learners, he picked 12 apostles, and then all of them went down to the plain. So up high, walk down to the plain. And they get down there, and there is a large group of people. I mean, they're talking about regions of people, right? A big crowd. And there are people who are ill, and there are people who are sick, and there are people who are oppressed by evil spirits. And there are people who love Jesus and just want to learn about him. And then you have to imagine that there are just curious people, right? They just want to know what this guy is going to be teaching about. And so they are all there. And the Bible really clearly says, and I love this, that power was just coming off Jesus. And he was healing them all. They were all healed. People who wanted to be healed were healed. So I want you to think about that for a moment. They were all healed. Lives were changed. People literally probably got up and walked, right? Spirits went out of people. I wonder how the disciples felt at that moment, right? They had been up on the hill. They had just been picked. They were seeing this power. Now, you and I have the entire picture of the Bible, right? We know from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible. We know Jesus' story. We know he died. We know he rose again. We even know what's going to happen in eternity. But the disciples did not know that yet. They were just walking along with him. They were going along. And actually, this was pretty close to the beginning of his ministry. So, yes, they had seen people being healed. And yes, Jesus had gotten a little feedback from the Pharisees at this point, but he was not in full persecution at this point, right? He had not fed the 5,000. He had not walked on water. He had not calmed the seas. So don't you think the disciples were probably like, Woohoo, I'm Team Jesus! I'm really excited. This is great. He's healing people. I'm a chosen one. Love this. Okay? In fact, in Jewish tradition up to this point even, the Messiah was going to come in power and might. They believed that the Messiah, when he came to save the Jewish people, would be an earthly ruler, that he would be glorious, that he would wield a sword, and that he would be like, think King David, King Solomon. All right? So here you are as a disciple there. And here we are as disciples here. So in essence, this is to us too, right? This is to us. The Bible writes it. And Jesus lays out really radical stuff. 
man, this is a complete dichotomy change. Okay, that's my grad school word. I have to throw one out every once in a while because I can't use it with kids, okay? Dichotomy change means that it went in complete opposite. This is the old way. This is how you used to do things. This is the new way. This is how I'm doing things. Now, most of you guys know our son plays football. And recently, his coach was fired. Okay? And so, I don't know if you guys know this, when a coach is fired, everybody is let go in a collegiate, and I think in a professional level too, right? So, the coaches are fired, the secretaries are fired, the trainers are fired, the wait staff is fired, like the people who do the weightlifting, even the people who hand out the uniforms, everybody's let go. And then a new coach comes in, and in our case, it was Kevin Sumlin. And he comes in, and he brings an entire new coaching staff. He brings new administrative staff, new trainers, new weightlifting people, new people. There's even a new way to hand out socks now. He brings a new playbook. And he says, here is my new culture. This is what matters to me, and this is how we're going to do things. This is what Jesus is doing right here. He's saying, that's the old this is the new. And in doing that, I am going to rock your world because here is what I want you to think. Now, I like to study in the NIV version. I think Ron uses uh, American Standard, but I like the NIV. But if I'm reading something, because I'm always trying to help kids understand things, I like the Message Bible. And they took Greek and, and Hebrew and translated into modern language, so into the vernacular that we would use every day. And so I want you to picture in your mind, you are standing there on a plane, listening to Jesus, feeling pretty good about yourselves, okay? And he lays this out to you, and I'm going to read you from the Message Bible, okay? He is speaking directly to us. You are blessed when you have lost it all. God's kingdom is there for the finding. And you're blessed when you are ravenously hungry because then you're ready for the messianic meal and you are blessed when your tears flow freely because joy comes in the morning count yourself blessed every time someone cuts you down or throws you out every time someone smears or blackens your name to discredit me what it means is that the truth is too close for comfort, and that person, they're uncomfortable. You be glad when that happens. Skip like a lamb. Okay, I had to get a lamb in here. That's why we're using this, right? <laughs> if you like, for even though they don't like it, I do, and heaven applauds. And know that you are in good company. My preachers and witnesses have always been treated like this. But there is trouble ahead. Well, there is trouble ahead if you think you have made it, that you have, what you have is all you'll ever get. And there's trouble ahead if you're satisfied with yourself, yourself will not be satisfied for long. And there's trouble ahead if you think life's all fun and games. There's suffering to be met and you're going to meet it. There's trouble ahead when you live life only for the approval of others, saying what flatters them, doing what indulges them. Popularity contests are not truth contests. Look how many scoundrel preachers were approved by your ancestors. 
Your task is to be true, not popular. Whoa, whoa, oh my gosh. So I'm wondering what kind of life do we want to have? When we ask for God's blessing, what are we thinking? Because you know we've all prayed, Lord, please uh, bless my family, bless my job, bless my husband, bless whatever. What are you thinking? Because how do you measure your blessings? Because God has one way, and the world has a lot of ways. By the world's measure, if you're rich, if you're successful, if you're happy, if you're popular, that means you're blessed. In the same token, the world says, if you're struggling financially, if you're miserable, if you're ugly, if you don't wear the right size, if you don't have the right clothes, if you've been rejected, if you have a disability, whatever it is, you're not good enough. And um, you are not blessed. You're in a bad place and uh, pff, too bad for you, right? The world measures blessings by circumstances. So possessions, independence, fame, and power. I, I am on Instagram because I have two college-age kids and I like to keep up with their world. And so my Instagram feed is super unusual because I have um, lots of Christian speakers who I get to follow. I have a lot of you and I love seeing your pictures. And I have a lot of professional athletes <laughs> and coaches, which let's talk about Christian speakers, Beth Moore, and a professional athlete. Very different feeds, okay? So the other day there was a feed and it came up and there was a picture and it was a guy, a professional athlete in a t-shirt and it said hashtag blessed. And his little, what he wrote was hashtag blessed. And what he meant was, here I am standing in front of my Bugatti. Now, if you don't know what a Bugatti is, I looked at the price, $2.7 million car. Is that a house? That's a little car, like with only two seats, okay? You can't even bring the whole Ohana with you, just two seats. Here is my beautiful wife who has lots of jewelry on. Here is my gorgeous mansion, okay? I am famous. I have over a million Instagram followers, hashtag blessed, right? That's not how Jesus sees blessed at all. In fact, in the 122 times, 122 times that the word blessed is used in the New Testament, not once is it attached to material possession? Not one time. So what does blessed mean? So if we look at the Greek word blessed in all of this, it translates to be fully satisfied. It refers to those receiving God's favor regardless of your circumstance. Scripture shows us that blessing is anything that God gives us to make us fully satisfied in him. Anything that draws us closer to Jesus, helps us get rid of and relinquish the temporal and hold on to the permanent. I want to get a t-shirt, not hashtag blessed, the one that says God's got you. Don't you think that'd be fun? God's got you. Um, so one of my favorite sayings, and I say this to the kids all the time, is God is good all the time. He's good in the day and he's good in the night. And what that means is he's good all the time. He's good when things are good, and he's good when things are really difficult. Now, I don't know why, but as a Christian, and I don't know if you guys struggle with this, but I do, sometimes I think, 
well, God, I follow you. Man, I do everything you want me to do. I try really hard. I'm a good person, Lord. Why do these bad things happen to us? How come bad things happen to good people? How come this happens to Christians? And here's what this word says. In fact, it guarantees us is that you are going to face trials and you are going to face difficult times and you need to persevere. It says in James 1-2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. First Peter 1-6 says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. And in Romans 12-12, it says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. In fact, I could take the rest of my sermon and do nothing but read about trials, right? But really, where does our hope lie? Does it lie in material things or is our comfort and peace in Jesus? Now, when I was a kid in upper elementary and middle school, my dad worked at a Christian college. He was the director of development. And I met a woman, and I didn't know at the time that she would mean so much to me because I was in middle school, um, but I'm still talking about her like 30-some, a little longer than that, years later. (laughs) And her name was Maxine, and she was the wife of Dr. Appleberry, one of the professors. And Maxine was tall, and I wasn't this tall then, so she was about my height now. She was incredibly skinny. In fact, so skinny you could see her bones. You know how you see the bones here and on her cheeks? She was incredibly pale. In fact, probably the palest person I have ever seen. Her skin was like white and so pale that you could see the blue veins underneath. She was very old looking. Now, when you're a middle schooler, anybody over 25 is old looking. But um, she looked about 10 or 15 years older than her husband did. And she was incredibly unfashionable. Now, I have to say, this was the uh, late 70s, and I rocked amazing prairie dresses, okay? So I knew what fashion was. And, and so as a middle schooler, I was just like, man, those polyester suits, Auntie, you know. Anyway, but she was also the very nicest person that I have ever met in my entire life. And she cared about people. I never saw a moment, every time I saw her, she wasn't sitting and talking with somebody. She wasn't praying with somebody. She wasn't, I remember her bringing little gifts and cards to people all the time. We went to a faculty event, and we sat at these tables, and she was at the table next to me. And, and I, you know, you're middle school, and so you're kind of listening because you want to know, but you don't want to really go into the conversation. And I heard her say, The greatest gift that God ever gave me was cancer because it allowed me to share my story with so many people. She said, my hope is in Jesus, and I get to talk about it all the time. See, Maxine had had cancer for over 10 years. She'd had a mastectomy that hadn't been completed well, and the cancer had spread, and she uh, had cancer of the throat, and so she couldn't eat. That's why she was super thin. And her cancer medication made her not be able to go in the sun at all. So she was super um, pale, and it had killed her body. I mean, it just caused so much problems, and so that's why she looked older. And honestly, it just cost a lot, and that's why she wore what she wore. Now, 
uh, towards the end of her life, um, she spent most of it in the hospital. And people from the school thought it a great privilege to go sit with her when Dr. Appleberry had to go teach his classes. And so one night, my parents went and sat with her in the hospital. And in a very quiet voice, she said, Mike, do you have a Bible in your car I can give away? And my dad is, grew up a pastor and is a pastor, and, and so he said, uh, yeah. I mean, even to this day, my dad probably has 10 Bibles in his car right now at this moment. And so he went and gave her a Bible, and Maxine said, call the nurse in. And so the nurse came in, and she handed her the Bible, and she said, um, God loves you. This is his love letter to you. And she had been talking to the nurse over the last few weeks, and she said, here's God's word. You will find hope in him. You will find purpose in him. And I love you too. And she walked out and my mom followed the nurse out. And she could barely hold on because she was crying so hard. And she said, I don't understand. This woman, it hurts to breathe. It is hard for her to breathe. I know how much morphine she's getting. And she chooses in her last breath to tell me about this man in this book who loves me. Two days later, Maxine died. And a few weeks later, my parents went to the service, and I went too. And I remember this woman running up to my parents and hugging them so tightly and saying, I didn't know what. And afterwards, I asked my mom, and she said, um, that's the nurse we told you about, honey. She knows Jesus now, and she was thanking us because her hope was in Jesus See, Maxine chose the most awful of illnesses to praise the Lord. She realized it gave her an opportunity to share what was important to her, and that was her faith. She found her peace in him. Psalms 35 says, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Now, I'll be honest with you, this is hard to understand sometimes. Comfort and peace. Why are these things happening? So I want to be sure and say a couple things. The first thing is, is that Jesus does not say here that you must be poor or hungry or crying or hated to be blessed. It is not a prerequisite of being blessed. And he's also not saying if you are poor and hungry and crying and hated that you are necessarily blessed. If you don't know Jesus, those aren't awesome things, right? What he is saying is if you are struggling, if you are poor, if you are hungry, if you are crying, if you feel hated, look to him because he is our blessing. Suffering and trials are not blessings in themselves, but they are channels for God's grace. So we can look to him for our comfort. We can look to him for our peace. We can look to him for our joy. We can look to him for our satisfaction and not a Bugatti, right? On the flip side, it's also true. If you have more than enough, if you have some power, if God has given you to be well-known, that is not necessarily a blessing or a curse either right? It's about where do you get your comfort from? Jesus is not saying, everybody go get rid of, well, he might be saying to you. He's not saying to every single person in the world, okay? He's going to speak to us individually, that um, go sell everything you have. But I'll promise you this, money will not make you feel good all the time. And popularity can't be your goal. Because uh, money 
is not grace, and fame is not going to get you to heaven. <laughs> and it'll be a really shallow and, and fading life at some point. But if God has blessed you in this area, there's a challenge for you. Now, my dad has a friend, and I've had the opportunity to meet him. And I'm going to call him Buddy. That's not his real name, um, but his name is Buddy. And he started out with his father owning a 10 by 10 furniture store in Denver. Just 10 by 10 when Buddy was a kid. And he worked hard. And Buddy kept working hard. Pretty soon it was a 20 by 20 store. Pretty soon it was a warehouse store. Today, it is the largest chain of waterbed furniture stores from the Rockies East, okay? He has seven children. He has taught them all this philosophy. As much as I can, I give to the Lord. He gives millions of dollars every year away. He gives millions of dollars. He supports over a 1,000 children. He supports countless missionaries, and he is the single largest donor for World Vision. And he still lives in a small house and drives a pickup truck because he wants to give everything he has to the Lord. Now, I got to meet him when he gave uh, a little over $2 million to a school in Samoa. He wanted, to, um, he wanted kids to know how to read, but he wanted them to know how about Jesus. And so he, uh, there is a school that exists today because of his donations, and so that's awesome. He had a kingdom perspective. I think money and fame, they're a slippery slope because they feel good, right? There is nothing like the day you get your paycheck, right? You feel some comfort. But if our comfort is in that, we miss out on the blessing of Jesus, and we miss out on being able to rely on him. So my challenge is, for those of you guys who have more than enough, who have a little power, who maybe are well-known, are you using all that you can for Jesus? Or is it just getting comfortable? What matters here, really, is which kingdom are you going to be comfortable in? In fact, the first part of this sermon, I think, is really about identity. Is your comfort in stuff? Because if it is, that's as good as it's going to get, Right? But if our comfort is in Jesus and his kingdom, oh, we have so much to look forward to. And things could be difficult for a while, but we get to live here on earth with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We never have to walk a day alone. We have his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. And then, whoa, we have heaven. And it's so exciting. Now, I wear glasses I literally cannot see without them, okay? And I don't think Bev and Doug are in here, but Doug is my eye doctor, and he can tell you, literally cannot see without them. So this concept makes a lot of sense to me. What lens are you looking through your life? The world's lens or Jesus' lens? God's greatest blessing always rests in him. He is good. He is good in the day, and he is good in the night. And if you are going through a hard time right now, I am right along with you, and we're going to face difficult things, but know that God loves you. He will never leave you. He walks alongside of you, and this is as hard as it's going to get because we have so much more to look towards in him. And so I've decided I am now going to get a hashtag blessed shirt. 
anyway. Um, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have communion. Heavenly Father, we just love you. There are not enough words, Lord. You are great. You are kind. You are merciful. Lord, you love us so much that you let us learn sometimes how to struggle so that we can come to you, so that we can draw near to you. Lord, help us to do that every day when things get difficult, when things are good. Because I think sometimes, Lord, that's even harder. When things are good, help us to find our identity in you, our comfort in you. Because you offer us so much, Lord. You offer us everything. In Jesus' name, amen.